0: So welcome to our podcast about yoga and meditation hosted by Sheila Arnell and me, Magnus Fried. And today we're very honored to have a guest with us from Berlin over a Zoom link. It's uh, Karlo Rinpoche. Karlo Rinpoche is a Tibetan Buddhist teacher and is the lineage head of the Shankpa Kagyu tradition. Karlo Rinpoche completed his three-year retreat in 2008 and continues the unbroken transmission of the Shankpa Kagyu lineage. And we will talk with Karlo Rinpoche today about meditation, Buddhism, and how to get started with meditation and how to keep going in our everyday life, so to speak. First of all, I want to say welcome, Karlo Rinpoche.
1: Yes, welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you for inviting
1: me. We talk to um, very different types of people about yoga and meditation. And uh, the people who listen to this podcast know us. And we practice both yoga and meditation in uh, different levels. And we uh, haven't really ever spoken to anybody like you. So we're delighted to hear um, what you think about Buddhism and also mindfulness in yes. general. But we normally guide a meditation, but we think that you should do it because you are obviously the expert.
2: First of all, uh to our um, audience and our host, and thank you for inviting me for this, uh, you know, Zoom platform, and then, you know, so so that I could share my personal experience. So as it is uh, requested by our host, you know, um, uh, to talk a little bit about uh, meditation and giving a Guidance about meditation and mindfulness. I think the most important uh, part that we need to understand is the right intention. I think that's the very important. Many of us when we search of different religious world, spiritual world, meditative world, whichever the category may be, you know if you have a strong drive for escapism, and then that's the one thing that you have to slow it down a little bit because whether you are a meditator or practitioner or whatever you call yourself, I think the most important is, a, uh, uh, you know, always being connected with the uh, relative truth. That's the very important. If you are trying to reach beyond the relative truth and trying to meditate out of your mind, and it will stay as out of your mind. <laughs> You know, there's no foundation, there's no concrete result over time. So the right perception and the right intention is very important because, of course, uh, the Buddhism uh, and then also the mindfulness in this approach, you know, it's been there for the last 35 years and 40 years. And so basically it's not, how do I say, it's not something very, very new, but at the same time, Uh, People are still trying to explore. So that's why I find it very important to just give a short introduction about that particular part before I start giving a guidance so that you have the right understanding. Meditating together along with me or giving you guidance in this very moment. The first uh, key as a meditator or practitioner is don't be too stiff. The moment you are too stiff and then you have, you know, too many things going on in your mind. So don't be too stiff. Don't be too relaxed either. If you're relaxed, then your mind becomes chaotic, you know. So try to find a balance in between. And that balance in between does not have to be uh, extraordinary. It doesn't have to be ordinary either, you know. That middle ground state of mind Can be found if you can recognize your distractions of thoughts, and if you can recognize the really the true meaning of the awareness. Many people, when they think about awareness, they have this idea of concentrating. You know, very stiff approach, and that is the first mistake. You know, the long as you continue in the meditative world or meditative or mindfulness, whatever you call yourself, and the most important is, you know, is to aware of your distraction. You know, when there's so many different projections of thoughts that will arise, that will dissolve, the most important is you do not react. Be absent from opinion. That's very important. Be absent from opinion. Be absent from the distraction. And then be absent from, how do I say, you know, uh, blockade of thoughts, you know, be in the state of transparency. You know, when you have too many opinions, then even you try to meditate, you cannot meditate. So be, you know, absent from opinion. That's very important. And then you may tell yourself, oh, it's very difficult, you know, to be absent from opinion of, thinking of what is good and what is bad, and it's very difficult. You may also think that, oh, I have all this beautiful imagination and projection of thoughts for my companies, for my families, for myself, and all this imagination. And you may tell yourself that, why should I reject? All these are beautiful thoughts. I should embrace it. I should take it in, make a note out of it. Well all these thoughts will come and go even after your session it will be still there it won't be forgotten so you don't have to worry about that something that will be lost so therefore you know when you are you know call yourself a meditator the first principle is knowing the right uh, perception of awareness awareness does not mean you know stiffness it does not mean a force discipline you know meaning of awareness means, Absent from opinion, bad opinion, good opinion, absent from opinion. And that naturally becomes the very state of awareness. And that is something that you must develop over time. And when we are trying to meditate, many of us, we are trying to gaze on some sort of uh, um, Buddha statues or paintings or something like that. And I think it's the first step when you're trying to meditate. Um, Try to keep your object of whichever the object that you may be concentrating to. Try to keep that object simple as possible. And that is very important. Don't try to go um, uh, to the direction of visualization meditation right away. Try to meditate to the rigid object first. You know, a very simple object. It can be a piece of stone. It can be a small Dara statue or Buddha statue or our Lokiteshura statue, whichever the statue may be. You know, having that kind of a uh, simplified object. And then simply your mind focusing in that. Nothing beyond, nothing before. Simply that. If your mind is thinking beyond that or before that, your mind is distracted. There's a two different kind of distraction. There's the ordinary distraction where you hear the the sound of the door closing, the sound of the bird making on your window, uh, the sound of your coffee machine or the tea or the hot water boiling, you know, in your apartment. You know, these are the ordinary distraction that we can interact very easily. We can notice very easily. Then there's a second layer of distraction, which we call it in Tibetan practice, uh, Tibetan Buddhist practice or the Lord Buddha's teaching practice, doesn't matter. Uh, we call it the undercurrent. The undercurrent is much more subtle and that becomes the main obstacle throughout the spiritual journey. So when you are so-called trying to meditate, whether your path is mindfulness or whether your path is spiritual seeking or being a Buddhist practitioner, it doesn't matter you have to recognize this two different kind of distraction. The ordinary distraction and the undercurrent distraction. If you don't recognize this two, whatever you may have developed in this last 30 minutes or last 45 minutes in that particular session may develop into egoistic attitude over time. You know, where you tell to other people saying, look at me, I did this much of a meditation look at me, I did so much great. Look at me, I'm doing much better than before or longer than before. Yeah, then it becomes an ego trip, you know, an ego ego trip and then also a self-centered attitude. It develops over time into that kind of a reality over time. So therefore, it's very important to recognize this, the ordinary distraction and the undercurrent distraction. If you recognize this too, then at least, you know, there's a, higher percentage that you can go in the right direction. So that is very, very important. And then when you're trying to, um, you know, meditate, when you're trying to meditate, like I said previously, you know, don't try to be too too stiff. You know, have a simple uh, object and simply try to meditate on that. Nothing before that, nothing after that, simply that And then once your mind is fully trained or a little bit more skillful over the few days, over the few weeks, or maybe a few hours, then you can change to the sound. You know, maybe there's a sound of the river. You know, maybe there's a sound of the waterfall. Maybe there's the sound of, you know, like a current of water that is going through. You don't have to think about where the water sound is coming from. Well, where does it dissolve to? Where does it end? Where does it begin? You don't have to think about that. You just simply listen to the sound of the water or the echo of that sound. Simply the sound, nothing before, nothing after, simply that. And then slowly, if you are if able to adapt to that, then you try to adapt to when people are having conversation, rather than emerging yourself into the conversation or being impressed or being disgusted with the topic of the conversation. While people are having conversation, you simply listen to the echo and of the sound and simply meditate, you know, in that sound. And then slowly, slowly, larger crowd of people a bigger engagement, then your mind can synchronize together with a sense of awareness, along with it, and and that's what we call in Tibetan Buddhism mindfulness. You know, mindfulness is not about meditation only. It's about you know having that approach, having that attitude throughout day to day, without any sense of obligation. If you do have a sense of obligation, then it becomes a religious practice which the mindfulness, you know, and the Buddhist practice is not an obligation, it's not a religion. So therefore, if you have any sense of obligation, then you need to, you might need to recheck, you know, on that. So having a mindfulness is one thing, having a sense of obligation that you need to be mindfulness is another. So it's not necessarily negative, But if you have a sense of obligation that you have to be mindfulness, you have to be mindfulness, you have to be mindfulness, or you have to be careful and you have to be careful. And that is an indication that you did not accept the relative truth. You know, so, you know, so, and then trying to understand the relative truth of our own mind, trying to understand the relative truth of our own emotions, and that will give you a more conclusive result, and then some sense of clarity, you know, and then some sense of a uh, new attitude or new perception, at least new at that time, because you think it's new, you know, it's not a new, it's just been there. So, so that's that. So that's just some kind of my um, you know, simple, it's not really a guided meditation. It's more like simply
0: caring. You know. That was beautiful. Thank Very you. understandable.
1: Yes. Several too. new things for me. Nice. It was nice, yes.
0: But uh, you you also talk about that uh, in the secular mindfulness is very much emphasized that uh, mindfulness meditation is uh, an antidote to negative stress, negative emotions, etc. etc. But if I ask you as a practitioner, what is the purpose, what is your purpose of meditation? Oh
2: okay, so there's a two different kind of uh, understanding of the meditation or uh, whether it's a religious practice or practice or the spiritual practice. In the Buddhism we have this you know in Buddhism or in Buddhist teachings, we have this idea that where we think we do certain things to have more meaningful in this life. nothing after this life, but more like, okay, how can I make this? How can I cultivate? How can I balance? How can I make it more harmonious? How can I make it more, um, uh, more uh, good decision with a, you know, with a more, uh, how do I say, with a greater impact throughout my future and throughout my life. That That is not necessarily a liberating from the sea of samsara, you know? So that is good already, better than nothing better than the materialism world, you know, it's better. But it's not to the extent where you say, oh, this is a full renunciation of being a Buddhist practitioner. You you, you know, so my understanding about them, um, you know, people who need to develop some sort of balance, you, need, you still need to, to have some sort of renunciation. You know, renunciation doesn't mean that you need to become a Buddhist practitioner or become religious and worship every day it is out there. You know, renunciation has to be there constantly as a philosophy in our mind as you continue to meditate throughout your life, you know, because if there's no renunciation, then basically you are saying, I don't want to see that part of the truth. I want to see my version of the truth. And that is in the cycle of illusion. And if you're in the cycle of illusion, then it's a the samsara, dunga. You know, so so therefore, you know, whether people see the mindfulness or the Lord Buddha's teaching, you know, if they see it as a solution, the first is what do you want in your life? If you want to be just simply want to be a meaningful and happy, you know, make a good decision in your life with your partner, with your business, with your work and family, whatever, you you know. So then, of course, even in that extent may not be the, the level of Buddha. You know, even into that extent, you still need to have acceptance, acceptance to the relative truths, a sense of renunciation, sense of principle. Sultan in Tibetan, we call it sultim. Sultim means discipline. Discipline does not mean that you have to be forced to do something, or rather, it has to be with the deep realization, not enlightened realization, but the realization of suffering. You know, what is the cycle of suffering? So, so, you know, if you want to, Find some long-term solution with meditation. You need to apply with the renunciation and acceptance to the relative truth. You know, combined together, synchronizing together, and that will that will make you a meaningful life.
0: You know, very beautiful. Mm. And if you are and if you are a a beginner and is just about to enter. Uh, the path of meditation uh, maybe you, you read about it in a magazine you heard it from a friend and maybe you, you even nowadays you met a psychologist a CBT psychologist that th- said that mindfulness it might be good for you for your uh, anxiety and your stress what, what do you suggest how to get started in the best of ways what technique what, is, uh, what amount of time to invest where shall we do it? Uh, and the so the whole
2: on. problem in, in our modern world, of course, comparison with the, the, the you know, how long we live as human beings, you know, and then in terms of, you know, the medicine that we have access in terms of information that we have, you know, and it's much greater than, you know, 15th century, obviously, you know, there's no denial on that. But the price we pay being in this current world, is that, you know, the pace, the speed that we are living on is, is in you know, it's beyond imagination. Let's put it this way. There's almost no gap, you know. So the first thing is that if you really want to have some sense of self-reflection and then try to do some breathing exercise, you know, try to do some breathing exercise such as you don't have to count 21 times and 17 times and all that things, you know. You just try to when you when you breathe out through your nose, and then simply you know your mind goes along with it, right? You when you're breathing out, you breathe out, and then when you're breathing in naturally, and then your mind, you know, uh, following that uh, along with it, and when you breathe out, just like that. Don't count the numbers. You know, the first thing you want to avoid, you know, whether you're a religious or a spiritual practitioner, is numbers. So don't focus on the numbers, but just try to get the rhythm in your hand. Mm. That's the very important. Many people, they have no rhythm, no foundation, and they just want to have a full blast, you know, mm. and it doesn't work. You know, I tried, we failed because it doesn't function like
1: that. But do you think that that's a problem? Like, I completely understand that because when I started practicing, it was also a matter of how many minutes, how much should I do? Like almost a reminder on my phone. And I felt this is almost the opposite. This is not the right function. Hmm. And now I don't do that anymore. Now I sit and I sit some time and then I get up and then... Maybe I just look at my kids and I try to breathe deeply. And that's also meditation for me, at least. Um, But is that a problem that you find in the world today? Like that we're going too fast.
2: Uh, We are already in that pace. So the only way to slow it down a little bit is by yourself.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. You know, so by yourself means, you know, like I have just shown you, you know, you breathe out, breathe in, and at least that's how you start, Mm -hmm. you know. So then the greater changes can come eventually over time. Mm -hmm. If you try to have a full blast from the beginning, um, the problem is that you want to show your achievement to other people and that's where it goes wrong whether you're a spiritual seeker or a Buddhist seeker, it doesn't matter, whichever the path may be. The moment you go into the idea of self-liberation and getting a medal on your shoulder kind of concept, you know, where you get into the idea that, oh, the more I do, the more I get, you know, basically the same habit of the consumerism world. And then just, you know, putting a new name and then saying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going in a path of spiritual path. And that is not right. You know, changing the direction and yet keeping the same habit mm. is not a liberation. Mm. You know? So, so, so therefore it is very important for people to start with a breathing exercise. Um, you know, and then slowly, slowly with a sense of more deeper self reflection, you know, things will change by itself mm. Yeah, you know, not with the full. You know.
0: What would be the minimum requirement to, to at least, after some time, see that some transmission is going to take place?
2: I I I think the most important is uh, what we consume. Hmm. <laughs> you know, what we consume really plays a lot of things into our mind and our body.
1: Hmm. And
2: uh, so so that that's a very important to keep in mind. You know, if you if you just consume everything lots of trash things in your body and expect, you know, some beautiful crystal mind that is not going to work.
1: I, I love that you're, saying, that
2: you're saying you know it, you know, so so it's it's very important for us, you know, to to start a small habit, uh, two habits along at the same time, you know, maybe being a little bit healthy, you know, at the same time doing a meditation, you know, like a breathing exercise, like probably in a how do I say, mm, morning time, you know, the moment you open your eyes, you know, then uh, then you go sit and then you do some breathing exercise and then you tell yourself everything is in permanence and therefore everything is perfect, you know. So, you know, you try to say that in a few sentence, and that will help you a lot. You know, you don't have to say, oh, I'm going to make everybody happy. You don't have to say, I'm going to make something great today. And that's a lot of pressure, a lot of burden, you know. So, so, you know, when you wake up you know, just, you know, try to, you know, sit in the meditation posture or whether you're sitting on the chair or in the bed, doesn't matter. Just simply breathe out, you know, a few times, breathe in a few times in the regular pace at normal pace and then your mind along with it and then at the end of that whether it's 10 minutes whether it's five minutes whether it's 15 minutes at the end of that and then you tell yourself everything is in therefore everything is perfect you know mm-hmm. basically to detach the idea of the fixation a little bit mm-hmm. you know? so that can be the you know like a you know, small star shining a little bit. It doesn't help a lot, but
0: <laughs> it's there. When you, when you see people, you see a lot of people who enter the practice of meditation and you also meet uh, many long-term practitioners. What, what, what are the qualities that you can see increase over time of a person that practice meditation on a regular basis?
2: I, I think... Long as people are not in the Buddhist uh, communities, their spiritual improvement is always there. The moment they are sucked in into this some sense of communities, uh, much more rigid communities, let's put it this way, and then it becomes uh, slowly it becomes into how should I say who has the title, who has the more recognition, and all of that things, you know, uh, uh, you know, and it goes to quite, quite a vast range. It's not something very small. And it is a problem, and it's been a problem for the last thousand years. If you read the biography of a different masters, and it has been like that. It's not something new because some people, you know, because of some Western people or some Eastern people. It has nothing to do with the different nationalities, you know. It's everything to do with it as a human being, you know. So like an example, Milarepa, he is a great practitioner, great meditator, equal to the Mahasiddhas of India, you know the common, the one thing you have to understand is that, yes, he have endured a great hardship, mm. but his intention was pure to practice Dharma, even though he did not receive any Dharma any years until he was quite old, mm. you know? And then when he finally received it, and then he simply left from the community because he was told to just go and practice. And eventually he became the, you know, the great yogi, you know? And then his students, just like that, you know, and then also in the Shambakaju lineage, we also have exactly the same things like that. Many great masters, they did not become a great masters because they get sucked into the communities. Of course, they engage with the communities for the first several years, but not the rest of their life. You know, so they just kind of leave everything behind, receive many teachings as they should, and receive all the empowerment and transmission. And the moment there's a teacher saying, okay, you know, seems like you're good, you know, to live life by yourself, and they just simply practice by themselves. And that makes them a great practitioner, a great, what do I say, a great um big change and improvement and so on and so forth. So even nowadays, you know, when I see people, you know, when I see people and they say, oh, Kalurambache, I want to be your, you know, uh student, you know, And I say to them, you know, okay, then if you want to be my student, then you stay away from me. (laughs) That's what I say. Whether I meet them, whether they have a very good life or whether they have a, a poor condition in life, doesn't matter. I give the same answer. And I say to them, the first thing you need is a Buddha's teaching. Not in a religious way, but rather just simply try to study. That's what His Holiness Dalai Lama always say. Study a little bit, have an analytical approach. And then eventually you come to the, you know, clear result over time, you know? So, you know, so that's what I'm trying to do. I've been doing for the last 10 years and I've been telling them. And I said, you know, if you want to practice Dharma, then come to see me when you really need to see me, you know, and practice. And I'm, I'm happy to help you, but at the same time, keep a distance from the Sangha, from the, you know, the center and from me also. Because I will provide with everything I know and I cannot provide what I do not know.
1: But what do you, because I um, I understand where you are going also with this question. Um, if you have a person who has never been practicing anything before and stays away from you and starts to practice, like what improvements do we see in people? Like. Are they calmer? are they more satisfied with their life? Or more what have you? What have you seen with the people who stay away and they practice and they learn in their own pace? How does their life change? I
2: think being a practitioner is one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being good at practice, or being good at reading, being good at reciting, uh, being good with the communities is one thing. Engaging with the true ugly reality is another. <laughs> and uh, regardless of many, you know, advanced practitioner you may be, whatever you call yourself, uh, you will still fail as a practitioner, no matter what. And that is the reality that, uh, that we have to accept. Mm-hmm. Even the Cherizic, you know, our Loketashura, he fails his promise. He breaks his promise, you know, in his time. You know, so if Bodhisattva can broke their promise and the ordinary being of obviously they're going to, you know, uh, lose their commitment or break their commitment time to time, but that does not give you the, the, you know, that does not give you the, the right, uh, to, to, to reject them, you know, so mm-hmm. they can fail. And if their failure is genuine, you know, not due to, you know, some other things, but if their failure is simply, you know, with the lack of qualities in their mind, then and, and you, you support them continuously. And that's how you become as a good practitioner over time. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't say, oh, you're a failure, and then now you just, I leave you behind, you know. That is not the definition of the Buddhist student. You fail many times, and the teacher guides you over time. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that makes you a great practitioner, you know. Uh, The other thing is that, you know, you don't consider yourself as a Buddhist teacher, you know, either, you know. So you try to help as much as you can. The other person try to be genuine as much as they can. Uh, Then, of course, there's many things that they have overcome and they managed to overcome, you know, and especially the people who I guide them in the retreat. Mm. You know, not the people that uh, I engage them in a how should I say in an open public talk because you know we don't really spend time together. You understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like when there's a public talk, when there's online talk, there's no there's no personal engagement. I I okay, so like they watch for five minutes and they're gone. You know, how am I supposed to help them? How am I supposed to see the changes? But if they are an individual, you know, uh you know, like who who spends time and do retreat and studies a little bit. And of course, I see the changes, but it doesn't mean that they are ready to fly. It doesn't mean that you have to guide them. And that's how my uh, guru, you know, Siddhartha my teacher, who have helped me, that's how he guided me as well. You know, he didn't say, hey, you're a failure, you know, and then now I abandon you. It was not like that. You know, he said, you you know, you do good things, I will support you. You do bad things, I will support you. Mm-hmm. You know, so that is the definition of being a teacher. If you say, oh, you know, you embarrass me, and now you, you know, I reject you, then that that it doesn't that doesn't make you a, a spiritual. How should I say the leader? Let's put it this
0: way. Mm. Mm. It's more like a spiritual friend.
2: Yeah, it's so, more so like a spiritual who
0: friend. Patience with you and understand yeah, yeah. understands you on a deeper level. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. The
2: moment they they get into the idea of oh, I'm the guru and I'm the student, the main student, and then then it's.
0: It's finished. <laughs> <laughs> but after, after I mean, it's so easy in this modern world to, to, to get lost. And many people are searching for, for, for teachings like this. And uh, according to your opinion, after doing three-year retreat and after living in both in a, a monastic environment and also uh, being facing the modern world here in Europe... Uh, and uh, um, outside the monastic life, and have to deal with uh, uh, a lot of ordinary stuff in this world. When it boils down, according to you, what is a meaningful life?
2: The meaning of life is to liberate from the fixated world. And that's the meaningful life that I want to lead, you know, and that's the, the life that I want to continue. Mm. Yeah. So, you know so when i practice dharma and that's the the main purpose mm. you know, because when we when we die eventually we die uh you know to be liberated from the bardo we have to be liberated first with the uh, with the idea of the you know of the reality and the and distance from the fixated habit mm. you know so so that's that and that's important mm. So because many people, when they think about the life and death and they think about it as something that is ending permanently, and that is not the fact, the life continues. You're just making a transaction. Mm. Mm.
0: So,
1: thank uh, you so much.
0: Yeah, Thank you so much for your time. Mm. I think this was very valuable, uh, both for as a personal level oh. uh, and, and also for all the listeners. But, behalf of all the listeners i'm very happy that you took your time and we wish you all the best we hope you...
1: to talk to you again yes oh,
2: okay. okay
1: okay and i want to
2: say uh, thank you for both of you and uh, thank you for all the audience for listening and uh, all my best wishes to everyone
0: and uh, many good wishes and touch <laughs>